Today's episode of Camp Wire is sponsored by Pods. Have you run out of storage space? No matter what kind of camp you offer, Pods solutions can fit your needs. Pods provides convenient and flexible ways to protect and transport camp supplies and equipment without having to coordinate with separate fleets and storage facilities. Check them out at business.pods.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Camp Wire, um, ACA's podcast on all things camp. I'm Sam Hurt. Before we get into this month's conversation, uh, do you remember last episode when I talked with Dan Lee, a paddleboarder who was paddling the entire Mississippi River, and he was raising money to send kids to camps, uh, accredited camps, through the ACA Send a Child to Camp Fund? Well, when we talked, he was still in northern Minnesota with lots of river ahead of him. Uh, as about as of about a week ago, he paddled his way into the Gulf of Mexico and finished his incredible journey. Uh, he raised over $6,000 for camperships. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome trip, an awesome accomplishment for him, uh, and a great addition to our Send a Child to Camp Fund, and we're really, really, really grateful uh, that he did that. If you haven't had the chance to listen to our talk from last episode, you should check that out. Uh, he was is a former counselor, and him and I talked while he was paddling on the river. Um, it was It was a fun time. Okay, onward um, for today's episode. If you don't know, uh, the ACA National Headquarters, are we're in central Indiana, and we share a property with Bradford Woods, um, and we have shared this property for a long time and are lucky to call them our neighbor. They have great uh, camp programs, um, and they do, uh, they do some summer camp stuff and uh, some school groups and outdoor ed. And so I wanted to talk uh, with someone about uh, school groups and outdoor education uh, for, since it's fall and a lot, you know, a lot of those go on in the fall and spring or sometimes the winter as well. And, and who better to talk to than the person that, um, I, you know, that we share a property with. So I got the chance to sit down with Tim Street, who right now is acting director, and to talk to him about school groups and outdoor ed at camp, um, an area really in which Bradford Woods uh, thrives. So I uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. Here we go. Sure. So Bradford Woods uh, is a part of Indiana University. We're Indiana University's Outdoor Center. Uh, We've been in existence since the 50s, um, running outdoor programs for the university in a variety of areas. Um, Today we have five main program areas that we operate programs in. Um, Our our two largest program areas are recreation therapy area. Uh, We spend our summers largely doing uh, camps for kids with chronic illness and disabilities. Uh, in conjunction with both uh, the Children's Hospital in Indianapolis, Riley Children's Hospital, Riley Children's Foundation, uh, as well as some other separate nonprofit groups like Muscular Dystrophy Association, Champ Camp, some other nonprofit groups. Uh, and then in the spring and the fall, we run environmental education programs for fifth graders. Um, both of those programs, both the Rec Therapy and the Environmental Education programs, have been running since the 50s. 
Uh, and then around that, we also have some other program areas and di different programming, uh, including adventure education, which is, uh, you know, the facilitation and team building uh, that a lot of camps do. Cool. Um, retreats, um, which also obviously a lot of camps do, um, you know, so when we have buildings that are open, you know, we let groups come in and, and rent a building for a, a corporate retreat or a luncheon or a family weekend or, or what have you. Uh, and then last area that we've started to really grow in is our military and family programming, uh, which is actually a bit of an offshoot from our rec therapy program area. Um, we're also doing therapy uh, in these programs for um, families, a lot of local families, uh, maybe with kids who are uh, in the probation system, uh, as well as working with veterans um, on therapy weekends and so, week-long events. So just, is that like... Um like a veteran comes like a veteran and his or her family as a family thing? We have, like yes. Um, individually or? Both. Both? Both, cool. yes. So we have awesome. some programs where individual veterans come. Uh, we've worked with the Wounded Warrior Project on some Project Odysseys. Um, and a couple other nonprofits on some, some big veteran weekends and things like that. Uh, and then we also have a family program, which is a weekend therapy program focused on reintegration for military families. Cool. Uh, when a spouse comes back from deployment, mm -hmm. uh, how, what does that do to the family dynamic? So just out of curiosity, do you, um, think, do you feel like you're serving more people in the summer or in the other seasons, or is it kind of consistently the same throughout? You know, our, in, in terms of numbers served, um, we probably serve the most in the spring and the fall. Um, because in the summer we're primarily uh, a medical camp mm -hmm. um, for kids with chronic illness and disabilities. Uh, many of them are severe and profound. We tend to not have the large volume of campers coming through. Right. Um, and so numbers wise, actually our spring and our fall seasons where we're working with schools is, is actually probably busier from that perspective. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, a big part of what you do is our school groups and outdoor mm -hmm. ed. and. I know that because I came here when I was 10 or whatever, when I was fifth grade. Awesome. And my mom was a teacher for years and has brought lots of kids here. Um, so when, when a school group gets here for that, how, however long, mm -hmm. can, you, can you one, tell us how long that may be and sort of what their average schedule is and what kind of things they're doing when they get here? Sure. So um, it used to be back in the day that schools would come for... Uh, five whole days, an entire school week, um, back when the program started in the 50s and indeed up until, gosh, I forget when it transitioned, I think the 90s, um, schools with budgets and everything like that. I just missed out. You just missed out. Did you come for three days? I would have been three days in the late, late 90s. Okay. Yeah. So they transitioned it from a five-day program to a three-day program. And so now uh, our, week, yeah. <laughs> our week basically looks like um, you know Monday to Wednesday. We'll have one or maybe two school groups in, depending on the size of the school groups, and then Wednesday to Friday, we'll have one or two school groups in as well, or maybe even three occasionally if there's you know lots of smaller schools, um, and that's typically what the week will look like. What they do when they get here, um, so you know they'll they'll arrive midday, Monday to Wednesday or Wednesday to Friday is you know the first thing they're really doing is. Uh, spending time unpacking, you know, getting the stuff off the bus, finding their cabins, moving into their cabins. Um, all of our school groups come with um, teachers, uh, with a school nurse, and with chaperones as well. Um, and so the actual supervision of the kids from this aspect is, is really done by the teachers and the chaperones that come with the school group. Uh, and then after they get settled in, we'll start working on our programming. 
Um, so, you know, a typical uh, Monday would be they show up midday, get moved in. Uh, they're going to do a curriculum unit in the afternoon. Uh, then they're going to get ready for dinner. And then after dinner, they'll either do uh, what we call a recreation, a recreation activity, or maybe some additional evening program, campfire skits, or additional evening learning. Uh, we really leave it up to the schools. We give them sort of a, a choice of all these different units they can apply um, to different holes in the schedule while they're here. Uh, and they choose how they want to apply that. Uh, then on the second day they're here, the full day that they're here, we do what's called an all-day experience, an all-day trail experience, uh, where the fifth graders, uh, along with their chaperones and teachers and our instructional staff, uh, who are doing the actual teaching, uh, they have breakfast and then they leave and they go out on the trail and they stay out on the trail all day. Uh, they take a pack-out lunch with them and they'll make a little campfire and cook their pack-out lunch on a campfire. Uh, and they'll be out all day until they come back home for dinner, uh, excuse me, come back to the dining hall for dinner. Um, uh, that's a really great experience for kids. And again, during that all day experience, the schools can pick which curriculum units they want to, to slide into that. Sure. Um, so what are some, like, are like some of those like identifying trees or like yeah. anything from that? To sure. Yeah. Tree identification is one. Um, we have a, a whole host of curriculum options that line up with state standards um, okay. for fifth grade science education. Um, so if you're a teacher that's planning a, you know, a Bradford Woods environmental education experience, um, you're going to get the paperwork. You're going to look at, you know, hey, I have a, a Wednesday afternoon slot, a Thursday morning slot, a Thursday afternoon slot, a Thursday evening slot, and you're going to, you know, work with our staff, um, our environmental education coordinators to sort of create the custom experience for your school. Um, and so curriculum can include, yeah, tree identification is absolutely one of them. Um, benthic macroinvertebrates, the classic stream study that uh, a lot of environmental education centers do, that's another one. Uh, geology, hydrology, um, a whole host of other, you know, science-related um, curriculum, including nature. Uh, we have a Native American rotation where they learn about Native American life as it would have been here uh, in this part of Indiana. And then we also have some larger thematic curriculum units um, that sort of span those different holes, those different programming holes that you could fill up. Um, Eagles to the Nest, Journeys Through the Watershed, they're larger themes that are mm -hmm. thematically overarch right. the entire three-day experience. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're partnering, I mean, you're using state curriculum and partnering really directly with schools. It's not like... So I was reading a little bit from our research about what we've got as far as outdoor ed and school groups, mm -hmm. and I think I saw that you know 48% of uh, accredited camps don't partner with schools in any way, mm -hmm. which is a pretty significant number. Um, so about half are partnering some way, directly or indirectly, and what I think that means is um, at least you know some of them are uh, basically having them on as rental groups, mm -hmm. which is but it sounds like what you're doing you're part of the I think it's uh, one out of five accredited camps partner directly with schools mm -hmm. during the school year so you're part of that 20% that's not just hosting a class who wants to use your lake to do something but you're providing the education that's in line with what the teachers are already teaching them at school but in here as they're as they're immersed in your Correct. Correct. And so really it's, um, 
in terms of, of campus supervision and student supervision, it's really a, a blended model where, you know, Bradford Woods is really responsible for the instruction. Right. Uh, it's and not the, just here, teachers, continue what you've been teaching. Right. Stay in our cabins. It's right. So we hire seasonal outdoor instructors who come in and, and train and get ready to teach this curriculum that we have developed. Um, but the, the school maintains responsibility as well because they're responsible. You know, they bring their nurse. So if there's any issues with the camper, they've got their school nurse right there. Um, and they have teachers and chaperones that are responsible for the in-cabin supervision of those groups. Cool. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, how, why is it something, why is this something that, that Bradford Woods has focused on? Bradford Woods has focused on so heavily. I mean, I know that, uh, well, I'll let, I don't know. Why, why have you focused sure. so heavily on, on, on you know, red? I think originally um, the environmental education program here at Bradford Woods grew out of a post-World War II America where uh, the country was rapidly urbanizing and I should say suburbanizing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people were moving away from, from nature and, and living on farms and things like that into suburbs, into cities at an increasing rate. Um, and there was sort of this dissonance of kids losing their connection with nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and so some of the people at the time in the 50s um, worked with these local school districts here. Um, it, we have two local school districts who've been partnering with us since 1957, so for 60 years. And both of those school districts were, were absolutely instrumental um, in creating this program and, and sort of setting the, the tone of environmental education here at Bradford Woods. Um, but it was really designed, you know, kids were, were losing their connection with nature and they wanted to give um, fifth graders a chance to come out. Um, you know, in fifth grade, you're at a, a key age, you're, you're starting to transition from, from being a kid to being a little more independent. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. so to give that age group a chance to come out uh, and really connect with the natural world and uh, learn your personal connection to the natural world mm -hmm. um, and to maintain that throughout the decades. That, that, that's where it started from anyway. That's interesting because I feel like at that age I was, uh, I was outside all the time mm -hmm. and all, like just constantly, but probably never thought about it. You know, like I was from a small town and just sure. as part of what I did, but never thought about what I was, you know, the importance of it. And at our school, um, Fifth grade is the last year of really like ele like elementary. Right. So then you go to you know middle school, and middle school you have a locker, and you go in class to class, and so like it was kind of like the last uh, here you get to do this is your goodbye from mm -hmm. from your elementary sort of a culminating experience. experience. Yeah, like you're not uh, you know you're you're a big kid. Yeah, you get, absolutely. You get and to it, be treated like a big kid. It has become you know in the community um, very much sort of this rite of passage mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so many, I mean, and so many people that, I mean, everyone, all my friends, you know, we all came here, and then I'll meet somebody else, so like, oh, you went there, or I went to Flat Rock, or, you know, I went to right. Tecumseh, or whatever. Yeah, and we're I, certainly, you know, in Indiana, fifth grade, um, for our state at least, seems to be the, the common mm -hmm. culminating experience. It may be different in other states, I don't know. Yeah, I think it is. I, well, I think, you know, the National Park Service has the, um, they offer... For certain times of the year, they offer free admission to fourth graders, mm -hmm. um, and they just they, I think somehow they you know it's really pretty much the same age you know mm -hmm. you're getting really close for some reason they've made the distinction that they've wanted that 
you know, as part, I think it's a partnership with Oak Outdoor Alliance. Mm-hmm. I, could, I think it is. I'm not actually, I, you know, I could check that. But, um, and then I don't know if you've heard about this um, during, the, during the last election in Oregon, they voted for this referendum to add policy in Oregon that would send, I think, fourth or fifth graders, I can't remember, um, like as a, require, as a requirement mm-hmm. on the curriculum to send the entire state mm-hmm. to camp. For mm-hmm. like for five days. So what what Bradford was what Bradford Woods was dec- you know a couple decades ago, mm-hmm. um, the whole state will be doing that, which is that's amazing. Yeah, it's huge, and it's huge for well, it's huge for kids, obviously first and foremost, but it's, mm-hmm. I mean it has humongous implications on camp and what camp can be mm-hmm. um, nationwide eventually, hopefully. Right. Well, and you know you imagine the environment in the fifties in which they wanted to start this program and then you look at everything that's happened since in terms of you know there's tons of research out there you can read Richard Lube you can read whoever and you know read about the research that shows that kids are increasingly disconnected from nature spending time indoors uh, and so truly this rite of passage experience I think both at Bradford Woods and, and everywhere there's so many places that do this and, and provide this experience for kids of this age is so important mm-hmm. um, and I believe not just because of the the educational outcomes, right? Sure, we're teaching the curriculum. That's very important. Um, that's very important to get schools here in the age of the standardized test is that, hey, we can come alongside you and we can work with you and help your students achieve the outcomes they need to achieve. Right. But it's also so much more than just the classroom learning transfer to the outside. Um, Absolutely. It's this rite of passage and it's this chance for kids who maybe quite literally have never had a chance uh, to go outside and build their self-confidence in being outside and in nature to, to take something like we do with an all-day experience and say, oh gosh, yeah, I can do that. Right, right, well it's- And, in, and to and, grow in that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and it's awesome, and especially in, for people who, I mean, a lot of people who hopefully will hear this, haven't, have never been here and don't know what it looks like. And, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is a point of Indiana where we start to hit southern, you know, getting into southern Indiana where things get hilly and maybe a little bit different than the central, the northern Indiana. Yeah, it's our kids that, aren't just out hiking around in cornfields. Right. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> it's like the standard picture of Indiana. Yeah. Right? You know, there's yeah. a beautiful lake and tons and tons <laughs> of woods and hills and um, and I wonder, like, even because I, you know, I commute from Indy mm-hmm. um, and the landscape changes drastically mm-hmm. just from my commute. And I wonder, you're right, about a lot of these kids, if they're coming from indie schools or anywhere that's not this area, mm-hmm. um, it could look totally different than what they've ever, if they've never really left their town mm-hmm. or, or not really, you know, maybe gone into Indy mm-hmm. or to another sub, like a suburb or something, this is going to look different to them yeah. and be a totally different experience, especially today with cell phones and yeah, everything. And you know, I'll... I'll say that you know the, the program was very much founded on environmental education mm-hmm. as the base of the program mm-hmm. and communicating environmental education. And it's, it's stayed true to that over the years, but we've also seen some things change. Mm-hmm. And I think today we have a much more blended approach um, in terms of, of what camp is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to picture it as a triangle, and, and you know one aspect of the triangle is um, that environmental education, which we're also trying to expand into more STEM-related things, mm-hmm. and actually some language arts stuff too. We found that um, experiential education is often used for STEM-type activities, 
Um, maybe not as much for language arts, and maybe there's an opportunity there to grow with some journaling. And uh, for example, we did some tie-ins with Hatchet. Um, yeah. Some fifth grade classes were reading Hatchet. Awesome. We, we yeah. tied that into some of our like wilderness read, survival yeah. shelter building. I read that in fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. yep. And <laughs> I imagine a lot of kids still do. Yeah. Um, so you know, we we had an opportunity to tie that in. So one corner of the triangle is very much the traditional educational outcomes mm -hmm. in an experiential way, which you know we're, we're obviously all about. Another corner of the triangle um, is is learning to live well with yourself and with others. Um, that's always been a, a hallmark of the program. You know, it's a chance for these kids to come out here with their peers, um, not be with their parents day in, day out, to truly live with their peers, to, to be in a cabin with them, to spend all day with them. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's always been a focus on living well with their peers. Right. Um, and, you know, we do family dinners mm -hmm. and they eat family dinner with their class. Yeah. And, yeah, it adds, you know, that's what the magic of camp, it adds this responsibility without like, you don't dump responsibility on, but it just kind of, mm -hmm. once you get here, there just is natural responsibility because you're not with your parents. Right. So you have a little bit of responsibility and freedom, but you're still in a supervised, like safe, nurturing right. environment. Um, yeah. Maybe you're the meal hopper and you're right. responsible for that. Maybe you're the kid on the certain day, the certain meal that's responsible for checking the weather station. Right. Yeah, there's a lot right. of that type of stuff built mm -hmm. in. Um, as well as just, yeah, just you know, living well with your peers. Yeah, uh, and doing the right thing right. without your parents there to tell you to do the right thing. Exactly. So you were saying something about, um, you, you kind of mentioned, you know, when Bradford when Woods started, there was, it was a, a big focus on environmental education. And you, it sounds like over the years, that's still happening, but you're fitting the needs of curriculum, maybe has swayed or changed a little bit. You know, I don't think we've seen too much change with that. Um, over the years, I think, you know, sort of the earth science aspect of things and discovering the earth has always been a part of sort of fifth grade curriculum in Indiana. Um, and, and thankfully, even with, you know, political climate and stuff, I don't think that will change. Um, you know, certainly I think it's important now more than ever um, to, to get these kids here and to get them to have a personal connection with the natural world mm -hmm. because of what that instills in terms of lifelong learning and discovery, um, you know, going out and doing that, but also stewardship and responsibility. Uh, and that's a big part of what we teach. Um, and, you know, re regardless of, of where the political climate goes and, right. and things like that, that's something we're going to continue to teach. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I think I only, I only asked half the question. I think the other question is, is, um, uh, to me, because so maybe I should word it this way. To me, programs like yours seem uh, so extremely important based on what you were just saying, which is um, how with technology and a screen in front of our face mm -hmm. all the time, and how now this is more important than ever as far as just like uh, global population, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that to me is more, it could be more of a driver for people to change their programming. Um, to fit the needs of kids more, like maybe having more digital experience at camp. When sure. I, but I would, okay. but I would, I, what am I, as a, someone who works in, you know, for ACA, and my thought is that that's not what camps are doing, which I think is probably the right thing. They're, they're not saying let's cater to that. They're saying, well, no, this is why camp is great. 
And so I'm wondering how, if that balance has, has been a problem or, or not. Yeah, I think, so sort of, sort of taking digital integration as an example of this, as a sort of microcosm of the bigger issue, I think I've seen places go both ways with that and say, hey, yeah, you know, let's get iPads and let's somehow incorporate iPads into our stream study right. where, you know, the kids can find it in the stream and then come back to the iPad and identify it and interact with it there. Um, very valid, great thing to do. Um, we've kind of gone a different way here and I think that's kind of what you're hinting at. Some yeah. can't stay a little more traditional in that. Mm -hmm kind of making a conscious choice to not incorporate technology. Yeah, because it's interesting. Well, I, I think what it all, this is all stemming from my question about this is because I'm thinking about, you know, how drastically schools have shifted in the mm -hmm. last 10 years with what they offer techn technologically. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I was graduating high school well over 10 years ago, I was, we had computers in the, as a full, like a full set of computers in an English classroom. That was like the first time ever. Mm -hmm. And you know, now people have one-to-one -one iPad or laptops. Um, and I, I'm also seeing ACA research that says camps are overwhelmingly not allowing technology from campers on camp on, mm -hmm. on their grounds. I mean, year after year, it's not really changing. Mm -hmm. Camps are saying, no, we want kids to be here at camp, immersed in, the nat in nature and our programming. And it sounds like to me that's kind of what you're saying, that Bet Bradford Woods mm -hmm. is still sort of focusing on that line, right. uh, regardless of maybe these kids who are coming here, their teachers in their classrooms are sort of not doing the same thing. But, I mean, it's different atmosphere. It's cool. Mm -hmm. That's the point of this, you know, classroom is... And I think teachers thing. embrace that too, you know, exactly. even if teachers have technology in the classroom, by far and large, we see them really enjoying coming out here mm -hmm. and not doing that. Because the whole point of coming out here is to do something different, different. Yeah, than exactly. what you're doing in the classroom, to have that experiential learning experience in, in an immersive way too. Um, and so... There are certainly ways that technology can enhance that, mm -hmm. but there are even more ways that technology can distract from it. Exactly. I think particularly if, you know, we, we kind of do the standard camp thing and it's like no phones, mm -hmm. you know, you can't bring your phone or we're going to collect it and, right. you know, keep it because um, that really takes away from the immersive experience. Yeah. So the lesson is go out in the woods, listen to the podcast when you get back. Right? That's right. <laughs> Leave your phone away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, are, how are your connections with schools made? Uh, you have people on staff that are reaching out, or are schools reaching out to you? Or? Um, you know, first of all, we have a lot of tradition with our program here, which I'm so thankful for. It's been great working with some school districts for 60 years. And so, um, you know, those partnerships are, are very strong, mm -hmm. you know, after this many years. And, we have a great relationship with them. But that said, there's a lot of schools who um, come and go and change. And, you know, we, we tend to sort of draw from this central Indiana region. And you mentioned there's other camps in Indiana that do some similar things to us. And, and some schools go to them. And that's awesome. We love those other camps. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe some go to them sometimes and come back to us. And, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it is in flux. Um, but, you know, we're always <coughs> wanting to reach new schools as well, of course, uh, and to, you know, expand the scope of our mission and what we're doing and um, get more kids to have this experience. We have uh, really three people who oversee our environmental education area. Um, two of them are assistant directors, and um, we, we definitely try to outreach to other new schools and 
you know, like anything, we found the best way to do that is through word of mouth and personal connections, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, we know the principal at this one school and they love the experience so much. They have a friend who's a principal at another school and maybe that's a connection we can make. Um, we can leverage that, you know, that, that word of mouth and that personal recommendation is by far and away always the best. Um, but that said, you know, we do try to prepare um, like a sample program too. Uh, that's a little bit portable like we could go to a school and you know maybe take some kids outside and, and give that classroom or classes a taste of sort of what the Bradford Woods programming would be like yeah yeah so how, how many people do you typically have on staff for like a fall or spring season sure um, for the environmental education camps specifically, yeah. um, there's really, there's our overall program director, there's our two assistant directors who deal directly with environmental ed. Um, then there's about 12 seasonal staff, um, a specialist and instructors who get trained in the curriculum and um, you know group hosting and all the other various things that come up throughout their stay. Um, those, are, those are the people who are really delivering the program right. to the kids directly. Right. Because uh, typically we'll split the classes up into what we call trail groups. Okay. So depending on the you know, size of the school, we'll determine how many trail groups we have. But typically about 12 to 14 kids will be in a trail group with an instructor um, going around and, and doing this learning. So, and how many, you were saying about how many kids through school, through school groups do you serve, do you know? Over the course of a year? Yeah. Um, it's between 4,000 and 5,000, probably closer to 5,000. Okay. It fluctuates a little and bit. And those are typically three day, you know, a school group. Yep. The fifth grade comes in from one school for three days. Mm -hmm. Do you have more than one here at a time? I can't, I mean, I think- So I'm yeah, the vast days. majority come in for three days at a time. That's definitely kind of our standard program. Yeah. Um, and within the three day program, we have a, two different options too. There's one where we teach everything and there's one where teachers teach 25%. Which some schools really like the mm -hmm. teachers like coming out here and teaching so those are our normal three-day programs uh, we have a couple one or two like two-day programs uh, still have one four-day program and then a handful of um, just day programs here and there too where schools just come in for the day yeah i always like to stop and like or just go slow by that sign when i first pull in um, because there's like sometimes there'll be like a couple yellow signs of who's here today. Yes. And then a lot of times there'll be like the whole thing will be yeah, jammed back. Yeah. And, and those are the times when people fitting here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll get you know a Monday to Wednesday where we have a school who takes up our entire capacity to teach. Right. You know there are 200 people. Right. You know 200 fifth graders coming in. Mm -hmm. um, and other times we'll get you know maybe there's two here at a time. There's a school of 70 and there's a school of 50 mm -hmm. here at the same time. And so that'll just flux and it's always a puzzle when we're putting together all our school requests for programming how we yeah. you know fit that into the season both for right. the spring and the fall all right so um the next 60 years is going to be uh you're going to hang tight keep people immersed in nature while the while who knows what happens technologically or what <laughs> you know i i hope so i don't yeah. think there'll ever be a true replacement for um for nature, I, I know I feel that personally. Just uh, the delight of, of getting away and disconnected, coupled with um, the learning that happens through discovery. Um, who knows where technology will go? But right. 
hopefully we're still here going strong uh, well, you know, with our woods and our forests and our mm-hmm. absolutely I mean I get report you know reporters call and or email and they they want to know how camp has changed and they heard that some camp offers you know robotics so camp must be really you know uh, singular like only you know just one thing you go to camp for robotics and when I constantly tell them based on our research is it's not the case that really what camps are doing is just they're offering more mm-hmm. you know camps everywhere are still cooking s'mores and they're still going on trail you know walks and hiking and canoeing they're just also maybe offering robotics or mm-hmm. also offering stem related activities and I think that's um, camp has this responsibility going forward to to be that place that will always offer uh, and so you know to always offer a nature experience I mean and some camps just they don't do that they just they are inside camp and there are great camps too but I, I think in general this idea of traditional camp will always be camp mm-hmm. you know and always a uh, uh, thrive at least I mm-hmm. hope yeah I hope so too yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the third corner of sort of this uh, program triangle would be uh, outdoor recreation and skills building um, and so that's a chance for kids to, to get out there and maybe they've never canoed before oh, okay. you know so we're building some some skills and some confidence in and the hope is you know with canoeing as an example um, maybe this fifth grader comes here and they canoe for the first time mm-hmm. And they feel empowered, right? And they grow in confidence and skills, you know, specific to canoeing. Mm-hmm. But also, hopefully, that's transitive mm-hmm. as a you know metaphor for their life overall, and they can feel you know more confident and empowered in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, in terms of that that skills translation, we hope that maybe that sets them up for a lifetime of success. Um, you know, maybe now they're going to go back and tell their family, hey, we went canoeing at camp. Can we go canoeing? And maybe that becomes something that's part of their routine and something that they can really take with them mm-hmm. for their entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, to me, that's what camp is supposed to be. Yeah. Like, we, we've used that, I think we used that model actually in the episode with Lori, um, uh, kind of just talking like camp is, camp is kind of about a big water slide, you know, like. It's fun. It's super fun. But it's also like you have to kind of conquer a fear of doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just having fun because once you conquer that fear, you've done something inside yourself that's different than just having fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. And that, to me, that's what camp is supposed to be. Yeah, truly. You know, I, I think ultimately the goal of, of really any camp experience is that it's transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with school programs, absolutely you have educational trans transformation that needs to occur. Mm-hmm. You want kids to, to leave camp with increased knowledge and skills as they relate to that specific curriculum that you're trying to get across. Um, but more importantly, you know, regardless of the specialty of the camp, you're hoping that they leave camp with you know, a renewed sense of self-confidence, um, lifelong learning they can take forward, maybe mm-hmm. some skills they can rely on, uh, and a better sense of, of living well with their peers. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I think one of the keys to having successful partnerships with schools um, is making sure you stay relevant to their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we've tried to do over the years um, through teacher surveys and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in this day and age, trying to incorporate some more STEM stuff because that's a real need in it schools. Is, yeah. um, and, and also just making sure, you know, you're building that connection with schools 
uh, with more than one person on both ends. You know, a lot of times we'll see there's a key administrator or a key teacher at a school who is the advocate for this outdoor education program. Right. And what happens if they leave the school? Exactly. The school may not have someone there to champion that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so really building a network within the school of people who understand the importance of it and who uh, champion experiential outdoor education um, mm -hmm. is, is really critically important for long-term partnerships and long-term success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for, yeah, you're for talking with me. Happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know when it's out. All righty. It was awesome to talk to Tim. Um, it was a fun conversation. It was great to be over on that side of the property at their office. Um, if you want to follow them or check them out, uh, go to their website. It's www.bradwoods.org. Learn, learn a little bit more about what they're doing. Um, they're also on social media. Just search Bradford Woods in those, uh, those platforms. You can follow us. We're uh, at ACA Camps and pretty much it on, on, the, on the main uh, social networks, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we're www.acacamps.org. So stay tuned for more Campwire in the future. Thanks for listening.